in a world of iconic riffs, immortal solos, the highest notes, and the most guttural growls, the debate of the greats has raged on for decades. And we settle them here. This is the Great Metal Standoff. Thank you very much, voice server guy. Ladies and gentlemen of the rock and roll, punk, prog, hardcore, thrash, and heavy metal community, my name is Jason Evans, and this is the Great Metal Standoff, the podcast that pits music's greatest albums in track by track combat. Now, this is in fact episode six of this podcast, which may or may not take you by surprise. This might perhaps be your first time checking this show out. You might be asking yourself, I've, I've never heard of this great metal standoff thingy before. How can there be six of these? To that, I answer everyone, it has been a very long, long time between episodes. In fact, it's been seven months since I've last done one of these. During the making of those first five episodes, I must say it didn't I didn't quite necessarily have the resources or the position to make this podcast sustainable. Plus, uh, on a personal level, didn't quite have my priorities right, and I needed to put more focuses elsewhere and put this podcast on the back burner. But now, as I speak to you right now, I, on a personal level and a professional level, have a clear direction I want to take, and I want you all to be a part of this ride. I've been recently given the duties of executive producer of Sin's punk and metal show Mosh Pit on Sin, which goes to air every Thursday night at 8pm on Sin 90.7 FM and DAB Plus for digital radio users, and have comprised a team of passionate rockers who want to share it with anybody who will listen. And you podcast listeners, you loyal podcast listeners, will get to meet some of them today. Their names are Tat and Jacob, and they were the first two rockers to join me on what I like to call the Mosh Pit Resurrection. So today, on the first Great Metal Standoff podcast in seven months, Tat and Jacob will join me in a battle of epic proportions. A ginormous pairing of super heavyweights of metal. Both with very starkly different styles, but... They each have a claim to call themselves King of Heavy Metal. The first battle in seven months on the Great Metal Standoff will be Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast of 1982 versus Black Sabbath's Master of Reality from 1971. It was their third album of both the bands, and they are albums that have shaped the influences of the bands that we know and love today. Who will come out on top? But first, it's been a very long time since we've done one of these, so let me explain to you the rules of the Great Metal Standoff. Rule number one. Every album battle will be contested in track-by-track format by our podcast panel. Rule number two. Each individual panellist will select a winner of each pairing. The winning track receives a point to the individual's tally score. Rule number three. Tracks on albums that go uncontested can receive a tally point if a panellist awards it a gold star. Now, podcast listeners, luckily we don't need to use this rule today as both tracks have eight tracks each. Nothing goes uncontested. It's a battle to the bloody end, everybody. Anyway, moving on. Rule number four. 
Once the battle is over, the album with the highest tally score will receive one grand point for that album. Rule number five. If a panellist tally score results in a draw, both albums will receive a half grand point each. And finally, rule number six, the album with the most grand points will be declared the winner. And with that, the arena is laid out. It is time to enter the Coliseum of Heavy Metal Battle by meeting the first two rockers that joined me on this mosh pit resurrection. And let's see who they would pick between Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast and Black Sabbath's Master of the Reality. Master of the Reality. This is a very common theme on this podcast. My English is most definitely academic, professor level. I'm losing. I'm losing my thought. Let's just head over to the Coliseum, meet Tat and Jacob, and let the battle commence. Roll the audio. Ladies and gentlemen, the new Moshpit team, Tat and Jacob. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Yay! Very good. I've been tasked with uh, resurrecting Moshpit, and here you guys are helping me with my cause. It's great, Phil. It's great. <laughs> You're doing well, too. Am I? Yeah. At the time of recording, we've had five shows. Yeah, in fairness, it is expanding, too, which is nice. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's making progress. Yep. Yes. What brought you here? Why'd you sign up? Um, to sin, or...? <laughs> Why'd you sign up? Why'd you want to join me in my cause of resurrecting Moshpit? Um, just a love for um, harder music, I guess. Um, anything rocking up. Um, I don't know. It's not something. I don't know. You don't really get the chance to uh, really play heavier music on other shows and um, outside of maybe Player One or the occasional um, thing here or there. But I felt like it'd be a great chance to not only learn some but uh, give some. Have you been learning throughout the journey? Uh yes. There's a a lot of learning, and um, that's uh, mostly thanks to Tat. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yes, I'll provide you with all the juicy black metal. <laughs> Is that what you brought brought you here, Tat? I mean... To showcase your black metal love? Yes. Yes. And, and my death and my doom and my thrash. And I love my punk. Absolutely love my punk. What um, punk bands do you love? Uh, well, first off, Sex Pistols. Ooh. Just the, the staple punk thing. Don't even get me started on post-punk. I can go on for bloody days about post-punk. I was at the Sydney Road Festival the other yeah. day. At the time of recording, it was probably about two days ago. There were a lot of Idols t-shirts. Idols, <laughs> I'd never heard uh, of Idols, and then yeah. <laughs> you mentioned them, and I'm seeing t-shirts of them everywhere. Oh, wait till I pop in in a few days with my Idols shirt <laughs> to, to frustrate you. <laughs> Furthermore, Tat, yeah. you had a show... On scene in 2019, it was called Lords of Chaos. What was all that about? Um, it was just pure metal and punk. So yeah, uh, I I played. I just kind of want to showcase a lot of like the black metal and the death metal, like the, more the underground metal stuff. Um, but of course, I did play things like Slay um, and Mayhem. Um, and then I had my punk. Then I had my indie rock, which I was very big on in my teenage years. I, I mean, I'm still. I'm still at the end of my teenage years, but still, you know. Right. <laughs> was that your gateway by any chance? Just the, you know, indie classic rock. indie rock and pop and the punk? Yeah, for sure it was. Were you a pop punk fan? Did no. you have that emo phase? No, I never did. No, you didn't. I, you. My music taste has been the same since I've been 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I've not changed one bit. Right. But that's not what we brought you in here today. No. I thought 
we need to resurrect this podcast. There's a lot of things I've needed to resurrect in the last number of months. This one, I thought we had to return this podcast with a very, very tough battle in the mm. trenches, <laughs> and that is Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast and Black Sabbath's Master of Reality. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts when I first pitched this to you? Um, initially, my thought went to maybe the Maiden one wasn't as good as I remember, but going right. back, I, I'm, I'm still quite confident that this is going to be a really close... Um, Really competitive uh, little thing. You think? Yeah. Um. Well, Black Sabbath, for starters, are amazing. And, <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty obvious which side I'm on. Um. But I, I've never been, like, a big Iron Maiden fan. Um. And it was actually quite interesting to listen to the album objectively. Um. And, yeah, it was, it was just kind of nice to see what what people are, like, raving on about, I suppose. Um, yeah, it was just... It was nice to have listened to something new. I didn't mean the band you just haven't gotten around to listening to, or is it no, just... No, no, I've had to listen. I, it's just not... Wasn't the cup of tea. Yeah. Mm, right. Okay. I know my, myself personally, I'm, I'm also quite the Sabbath fan. I was thinking it's going to mm-hmm. be a master of reality victory. <laughs> that was my prediction going in, yeah. but I've been listening to both, and I'm starting to think, yeah, this is going to be much more competitive than I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's, a, there's a couple... Uh, sleeper hits that you really forget about. Yes, number and of the also beast. I'm with Tat. I've never really gone too deep into Iron Maiden, but I so Number of the Beast is essentially the first time I've really sat down to listen to Iron Maiden. See, I'm damn, op- I had a whale of a time. I'm the opposite. I've never been much of a Sabbath person, so right. come back in and uh, really get back into Sabbath and uh, sit there and go, "Ooh, actually, hold on, this is this is better than the stuff I've heard from later on." Right. I came very close to instead of it being Master of Reality, I would have put Paranoid in the Ooh. in the as the battle up against Iron Maiden. What do you think it would have happened if I put Paranoid instead of Master of Reality up against this album? I think it probably would have been a little bit more one sided towards uh, Black Sabbath. Really? There's a, there's a couple. Uh, we'll get to them after, but there's a couple shorter tracks in um, Black mm. Sabbath's um, Master of Reality that I feel like really stand s- out, stand out, and yeah. skewer it a little bit towards uh, Maiden. Okay. Oh. Righto. Oh. <laughs> All right, righto. Let's get a little bit of background information done. Number of the Beast was released uh, as the first album with Bruce Dickinson as yes. vocals, and he was replacing Paul Diano, correct? Yes. Uh, this was, um, of course, released in uh, the 22nd of March in 1982. Uh, it was their third album, uh, as you said, replacing um, Paul with uh, Bruce, and it was actually the last album with the drummer uh, Clive Burr. Right, um, and th- this album has been mentioned by so many different uh, musicians uh, as inspi- inspiring them, and you know, being what brought them into music. Uh, Metallica, um, a lot of members from that have outright said that this is some of their favorite music. Um, even Disturbed, and my favorite one to find while researching was uh, Lady Gaga. Apparently, is a huge fan of uh, Number of the Beast, and. Ooh. Actually tried to be everything Maiden was, but pop. <laughs> I okay. cannot see that at all in It's music. really weird, but I kind of like the idea of it. It gives me a little bit more respect for it. Kind of like when it you find out Post me. Malone's a metalhead too, and he did songs with Ozzy. Oh, you forget about that, don't you? <laughs> Didn't he do stuff with like Jared Dines too? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. Aren't they like mates? I'm pretty oh, sure they are. It didn't surprise me. Yeah. Yes. And in the other corner, we have Master of Reality, which came out in July of 1971. The band had only been in existence for, what, two, one, two years? I think yeah. about two, yeah. Because late 60s, they started, and they released the self-titled 
Um, and then in twelve hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, and then you got Paranoid, and now this album, which I feel like is a really it's a, it's a staple album, especially mm. when someone's just starting to listen to metal. Uh, it's definitely like a gateway into some darker stuff. I feel. Yeah. I feel like yeah. this was a bit more of like an experimental album um, compared to the other stuff, but yeah. How so? Just the little interludes within the album. It's actually quite a short album. It's only about 34 minutes. Mm. Um, and I know the uh, Number of the Beats is quite a short album too, isn't it? Uh, yeah, relatively compared to uh, most of their other stuff. Yeah, yeah and I know that um, the second shortest Black Sabbath album is about... 38 minutes, so not that much of a difference. And what is that? What is that one? Do you know off the top? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Paranoid. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's dive deep. This is the Great Metal Standoff podcast, Number of the Beast and Master of Reality. And uh, as you are new to the podcast, and hopefully we'll be seeing you around a lot more, so we'll get we'll introduce you to our resident timekeeper over here. He's, they've got a blindfold on. I'm not quite sure if that's the timekeeper or if it's his wife. <laughs> but oh, yeah. the hood's over. Um could you please ring the bell, timekeeper? Thank you very much. Okay, let's begin, everyone. And, oh dear, we're probably about to lose our license here. Invaders versus Sweet Leaf. Now, we know what Sweet Leaf's about. Let's not dive into the lyrics, because we're <laughs> going to get into a lot of trouble if we do. So, Tat, how good are you at, the instru- at instrumental analysis and composition? Um, okay, if we're talking about... Pedals, uh, I couldn't, after all my research, I could not actually find the exact pedals that they use, particularly in Sweet Leaf, which is quite, like, a revolutionary song um, out of, like, all of Black Sabbath's discog. However, I did find that um, Tony actually started using a white Fender Stratocaster, which, as you may know, um, Jimi Hendrix actually, like, created, uh, which I thought was quite interesting because it's not very metal, a Stratocaster. Um, but then he got a custom-made Gibson guitar with 24 frets. So mm-hmm. I, I thought that was quite interesting. That's, that's quite a few frets. Um, and he also has this 12-string Epiphone Riviera, which is what he used um, throughout the entirety of the album. Um, and also what I, f- I found was quite interesting is that, you know, like the really catchy riff, the... Yeah, like it it's he Tony's like known for his riffs and his solos. Um and actually before so in the late sixties before Black Sabbath's first album, um he actually used to work in a factory and he got a few of his fingers chopped off in an accident, which is quite unfortunate. Um and as a result he did not play any music for a while. And then he got some plastic fingers, uh or yeah, he got like artificial fingers. Um which actually allowed him to play guitar once again. However, uh, this kind of like bit him back because after a while, it actually started to hurt his fingers. Um, therefore, for this album, for the Black Sabbath album, they actually had to tune it down by a step and a half, which kind of created like that more fuzzy kind of tone, I suppose, and a bit deeper and darker than Paranoid and their self-titled. Mm. I, um, yeah, no, Sweet Leaf, I didn't think it... Um have that much over Invaders, uh, definitely uh, in gore. Uh, but um, Invaders, for those who don't know, the lyrics are, and the lyrics and the story in the song uh, are very much Vikings and violence-based. Um, the the uh, lyrics obviously being um, the events of a Viking um, invasion. Uh, you know, with the chorus, you definitely see this um, as much as the chorus is so catchy and uh, one of the most fun things to sing with a couple mates. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it was just um, this song was one of their earliest yeah, recorded, 
and it was really interesting to see, I guess, because this was, I think this was the first one, I could be uh, slightly off on this, but it was one of the first ones that uh, Bruce actually sung, and you can tell later on with the later songs actually um, recorded that uh, they changed it up because there was quite a lot of um, issues between uh, uh, Martin Birch, the producer, um, and uh, Dickinson with uh, stories of um, furniture being thrown around and um, getting really (laughs) violent within the recording studios. Um, (laughs) Although both of them both say, you know, to improve the music uh, later on. Right. Yeah. I didn't realize that it had like an underlying like Viking theme. Like I love the Vikings. I think they're amazing. I didn't. I didn't actually realize that. That's quite cool. Yeah, it's um, they they talk about uh the the, the pillaging and the 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 raiding and um all sorts and um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one because they definitely uh, through Maiden and definitely this album, storytelling is really important um for a lot of the songs, mm-hmm. um and you'll see that a little bit later on. But this one. Yeah, I I don't know if it's the strongest one on it, but um, it's definitely a great example of Dickinson. Um, starting off, it's a great one to bring him into because you've got to show off new Ladies vocals. and gentlemen, our new singer, he sings like the opera. Is it very operatic singing? I don't know. Um, it, not very, for Invaders. Not Inva- for Invaders. Okay. Invaders is a bit of a quicker one for him. And it's a fast-paced song. Yeah, it's a very fast-paced one. Um, the opening, I think, is s- just stunning. It's okay. one of the strongest openings to an album I know of. Um, As opposed to the other side where it starts with Tony Iommi coughing. Yeah, I... <laughs> oh, I have a funny story about that. So uh, my my best friend, right, so she was playing Sweet Leaf off her Bluetooth speaker. She was home alone. She just heard the coughing. Like, <laughs> and then she actually got scared. <laughs> and she messaged me. She's like... Tat, I think I thought someone was in my house, but Sweet League was just playing. I'm like, ah, of course, how typical of you <laughs> to be scared of a song. Oh, lordy. Need some strepsils, mate. <laughs> what do you guys think about the intro? I think it's quite, I think it's quite an interesting way to start it, a song. It's different. With a coughing fit. I like the intro if it wasn't the opening to the uh, album. Really? Okay. <laughs> I feel like it would work halfway through as maybe coming out of one of the, the shorter interludes, mm-hmm. but not not for the start, and I, I feel like that's probably where it falls a little bit short. Honestly, right. I think it's a bit more of like a hook, it like really draws people in, because um, it's quite an interesting way to start a song off, I suppose. You know, you don't really hear it often, and you're like, oh, what's that? Oh, wait, Tony, you know? Right. Um, I mean, if I was playing this back then, though, I'd I'd have to check and make sure that the um, the, the actual physical version is mm-hmm. all right and I haven't bought uh, a dodgy version. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you think the coughing would just resemble the CD scratching or something? Yeah, uh, someone might have recorded over it. <laughs> uh, well, but then it leads into probably one of the best riffs on the album, in my yeah, personal I, opinion. I, I do agree with it. And then it builds up halfway through. I, I can't... Tat, you might need to um, fact check me on this, but yeah. around halfway through, two minutes 30, I was saying, oh, there's like a galloping bass sound. I'm not sure if that's quite correct, but it all very builds and builds and builds, and it's got yeah. this very fun mm. thrill ride, no pun intended, but thrill <laughs> ride feel to it. In my personal opinion, I'd take it over Invaders. I, as much as I love Invaders, I have to agree, Sweet Leaf is probably one of the stronger ones on Master of Reality. Right, and Invader Invaders is probably one of the weakest songs. You'd on. say that, really? I, it's not the f- not. Ah, uh, I feel like if I was to play them in order, it'd probably be sixth or seventh. 
It's wow. Okay. Not my favorite on it. Mm. I wouldn't go it's that fun. far. It's fun, definitely, but mm. I must say I wouldn't go as far as sixth or seventh. But uh, but yeah, against Sweet Leaf, I'd take Sweet Leaf over that. Yeah. What, what would be your final decision, Tat? Mm, I don't know. What do you guys reckon I'd choose? Well, it's up uh, to you. I feel like you're a Maiden fan. Yeah. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> Hesitated there. I got it. He got me. God damn it, I'm converting now. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, definitely Sabbath. Sabbath all mm, the way. Sabbath wins so this one. So it's 1-0 across the board mm-hmm. in favour of Master of Reality. That is very interesting. So it's a Master of Reality landslide to kick this off on the Great Metal Standoff. Let's move on to track two. Children of the Damned versus After Forever. I'm just going to jump in here and say that Children of, Children of the Damned uh, is one of the strongest um, Maiden songs of all time, in my opinion. Right. Um, it's... I feel like this probably should have been first on the uh, album, just because of how Start well. Start with a ballad. Well, to show off the new vocalist, which ah. was a big thing for them. Um, this one, I think, definitely Dickinson, Dickinson shines here, um, and it works really well with the music, uh, with the actual guitar being a little bit of a, as you said, a ballad, a softer song, um, and it's it still changed. intensity in a percussion sense. Yeah, yeah, and um, it changes a little bit further on uh, as it speeds up. And I, that still works. It's a little awkward getting into the speed up. Okay. Um, but Maiden struggles with that a little bit, uh, as it is. But it's just one of the most solid, I guess, songs for Dickinson. And I guess it shines for him. It's, there's no other way to put it other than that. Your retort, Tat? I cannot completely recall the Iron Maiden song completely as I did. I mean, Ooh. honestly, okay, no offence, but the album kind of just blended into one big blur, in my opinion. Um, but that might also just... <laughs> Hot <take. Ow. laughs> That might also just me being completely biased. But I did try my best to listen to it objectively, but that song didn't particularly stand out to me. Um, what I found with After Forever, what, what really um, interests me is that the controversy that it caused. Because this is actually a Christian metal song. And as you guys uh, may know, like, I, I suppose Satanism is a massive theme in metal. But there is Christian metal. That is a subgenre, as is, mm. like, you know, pirate metal, Viking metal, all that stuff. You got your Christian metal. This song is about Jesus. It's about love and loving Jesus. So, um, in the with the Black Sabbath fan base... Uh, quite a few people actually disliked it, but maybe maybe they did that to draw more Christian fans in. You may never know. I just thought it was very interesting. And it also kind of... It sounds kind of stone-rocky, in my opinion. Um, I personally believe that this album may have been the start of stoner metal and stoner rock. <laughs> no. That's, I, would, yeah. I would go as far as saying that because they it's just like the, the really beautiful, like, fuzzy tone... The, the deep tuning of the guitars. Um, and yeah, that's that's simply why I think uh, After Forever is a great song. The wrist bloody catchy too. I found I found a Bill Ward tat for you. A Bill... <laughs> English. <laughs> I know English, people. I found a Bill Ward quote, comma, tat. Mm-hmm. Would you like to be... Are you interested in an After Forever quote by Bill Ward? Sure, I am. Yeah. Well... This is what Bill Ward had to say about After Forever. What we were doing on the song was asking relevant questions about the validity of Christianity, in particular Catholicism. Mm-hmm. We were voicing our inner concerns about it all, asking everyone if they were prepared to accept what was being said. Without question, this was right or wrong. 
Mm-hmm. I is that kind of what your point was making out? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and also like as I said, like you know the whole like Christian yeah um kind of underlying theme in metal. Like even if you look at bands like Slayer, like the vocalist is a strict Catholic, which I I thought uh-huh. was. You know, I just think it's quite interesting um, considering the lyrical themes. Um, but, yeah, this song, I think that's the, the biggest reason that it has, like, you know, it just stands out. Yeah, I mean, I see that. But I, I also have to point out that um, just looking at my notes, uh, again, uh, Children of the Dam was actually based on a movie. Um, the track was inspired by a film from 1963 of the same name. And I can't get past, though... Um, because the film itself is a horror movie um, about six children with uh, like supernatural powers. But um, when you listen to the song, and it, it is somewhat haunting, uh, even if it is a ballad, there is a an eerie side to it um, that works super, super well with um, Dickinson. But um, this... Actually, what's interesting about this is this, this song was also influenced by Children of the Grave, which is mm-hmm. um, on, yeah. was it, Master of Re- uh, Reality. Um as Bruce has said. Um, Bruce has also said, I found another source saying he also cited Children of the Sea, which is from the Heaven and Hell album of Black Sabbath too. So, yeah. Well, I mean... There's a possibility between two. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, um, Sabbath... Not Sabbath. Maiden has said before, um, a lot of the members have said that the, they were hugely inspired by um, Sabbath. And well, I mean, I'm not the biggest Sabbath fan, but I can see it uh, in certain songs. Mm-hmm. There you have it. Without without Black Sabbath, we wouldn't have Children of the Damned, which is yeah. interesting because I'd rather take Children of the Damned over to After Forever, even though After Forever is a very enjoyable song. Mm. Very spacey. Love the bass. Do, 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 do. And, you know, the, the big heavy riffs during the chorus. What's happening there in those riffs, Tad? What about the riff? In After Forever. What is uh, the- theoretically going on? guitar playing as far as I'm aware it's just a really nice um, little progression of course uh, notes there's nothing really special about it it just happens to be a super super catchy with the warm and with the warm and fuzzy feel yeah Yeah. that being said I'm taking Children of the Damned I have to go Children of the Damned here now that I know that like okay I love my horror movies I didn't quite know that that was um, based off like I think lyrically the Iron Maiden song wins it Lyrically, Children of the Dam wins, okay? Yeah. Is that going to be your official choice? Yeah. Wow. I'm going to go ahead and just, uh, I think lyrically, Maiden wins most of these. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, I think you're converting Tad if the if explaining lyrical content's turned her if around. Well horror, done. Oh, if there's a horror movie then. theme, easy. <laughs> easy. <laughs> I think that's really cool, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. You learn something new every day, boys. You do, you do. <laughs> Across the board... We've all gone for the same song, therefore it's one one each. This next song to me is a no contest. The bris- the prisoner versus Embryo. How do you pronounce that? Embryo. embryo. I'm thinking it's embryo, yeah. This isn't a contest. No, it's uh, not. I think it bloody is. <laughs> embryo is only twenty sec twenty seven seconds yeah, long. Yeah, but it's such a technical piece. It rem- uh, it reminds me of one of the SpongeBob soundtrack pieces, the da 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 that that was used in SpongeBob. I, How technical can it be? <laughs> I I think it's I actually think it's quite uh personally I think it is an outro um to After Forever and it's just like that little interlude piece because they have two of those um in the album what is it like seven tracks the album eight um, tracks 
eight. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, I, I thought it was like quite a nice piece. Uh, it, it's a bit of a switch up uh, to the first and second track. Um, which is why I like it. It's quite relaxing. It's kind of, um, it kind of reminds me of folk metal, not going to lie. <laughs> it's just like... It, it does sound folky. Makes me want to like whip my sword out, you know. <laughs> right. And like okay. hunt for a bear in the forest. I, I think it's quite a beautiful 20, 27 second piece. I have to say though, e- even if uh, Embryo is a good song for you, The Prisoner is a great piece. The The opening... A uh, little bit is. is straight from a, a, a British TV cult series. Yes. Um, and it's one of my favourite little monologues before a song. But um, mm. The spoken intro is act- is the actual intro for the TV series, which is spoken by the central character played by Patrick McGoohan. Here's a story that I wrote down in my notes. Iron Maiden's manager, Rob uh, Smallwood, Rob- Rod Smallwood, yep. was terrified of contacting Mr. McGoohan to gain permission to use the dialogue for the song. Mm. Um, he did sit down with a phone interview and uh, eventually get the permission. Yes. But, um, yeah, it, it was... But he was that scared. He was so starstruck. That's mm. great. Which TV show was it? Um, I couldn't find the actual name yeah. anywhere, unfortunately. Because mm-hmm. um, the first thing I think of is, like, an English like sitcom or oh, something. Actually, I think it was just called The Prisoner. Oh, okay, cool. But, um, yeah, it's... It's great to see that, you know, they're actually mm. going out and getting these little bits of, uh, I guess, cult um, media for it. And it works yeah. because the whole song, um, again, lyrically, mm-hmm. it is about a prisoner wanting to escape and wanting to leave yeah. uh, prison. And, you know, I don't... It's obviously beating Embryo uh, lyrically, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just is. It just is, you know? But it's, no, It's got it there. <laughs> it's funny. The way I interpreted The Prisoner was it's like an escapee from prison and he's kind of on the run. He's running free. I'm a free man. Not exactly running free like the last, the previous album before it, mm. but he's running free. He's a free man. And that's it. kind of like that on the run road, road movie soundtrack yeah, kind can, of feel. Yeah, I can see that. Speaking of that uh, I'm free, that... Um, that chorus, I think, is probably the strongest chorus in this entire um, contest. Okay, I would say they're a stronger, but I really love the solo. Mm, oh, yes. I think the solo on solo, The Prisoner is one of the best. Without a doubt. On this one. Yeah, I, I, I unfortunately, I can't see Embryo getting anywhere near this one. But I did have an interesting... You, you did raise me an interesting question yep. there, Tad. You perceived Embryo to be a outro to After Forever. Yeah. The way I've interpreted it, I just see it as... Uh, an intro to Children of the Grave. I mean, I could see that. I mean, then after Children of the Grave, you got Orchid. So, ah, oh, okay. Yeah, which is like maybe maybe Embryo is um an intro, and then you got Orchid, which is the outro. You may right. never know. It, it's quite an. In- I the thing I really love about this album is the way that it's set up. Like it's quite unconventional. I mm-hmm. find um that it has like two interludes. Usually, uh, if an album does have like an interluding piece, uh, it's at the end of the album, or it's on a B side, mm. I find. Um, right. And yeah, I just I just thought it was quite interesting. There's there's a bit of a story that goes throughout the album, which I I can explain a bit later on. But yeah, it's just. I think I do agree with Jason though. I do see um, I do see Embryo maybe more as a uh, lean into Children of the Grave because Orchid comes just before uh, Lord of This World, which mm-hmm. has a bit more of a, a feel for what Orchid might be. Yeah. Um, at the start, so I feel mm. like it might bleed into that. Yeah. Overall, Woody, what's getting the point? Sabbath. You're going to take Embryo? <laughs> yep, oh. okay. sure. 
Uh, I mean, it has the piece to be is made so technical. Prisoner is such an amazing piece. Uh, I, uh, I I thought it was a no contest immediately. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I love Sabbath. I thought Sabbath would be winning this, mm. but I li- looked at that and I'm like, there is, in my humble opinion, there's it's no way. It's a full song versus there's, an insult. I, I can I can see why you choose um, the Iron Maiden song, but it's just, I, I I'm definitely like biased, like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty obvious, but um, I can definitely see why. Like, there's there's no lyrics in this piece, but I think that is what makes the piece stand out. That there's no lyrics and it's just a slap of guitar, you know. Nice sounding. It's yeah. nice sounding. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. But if I want to listen to Embryo, I normally include this next song, "Children of the Grave," mm-hmm. which goes up against Twenty Two Acacia Avenue. All right. So I think the first thing to point out is. 22 Acacia Avenue uh, has an interesting theme. Um, do we know the theme? If we go into too much detail, we might get into a bit of trouble. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but no, but I did know it's a con- it's like a second song in a series of songs that Iron Maiden have produced. Mm. Um, I couldn't tell you off the... I think it might be from Charlotte of the Harlot. Yes. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's... I feel like it fits quite well in with that, and um, it has quite a few separate parts to it, actually. It's, um, I feel halfway through, it completely changes sound uh, for an instrumental, and then after the instrumental, it stays on a slightly different sound, mm-hmm. um, almost slowing down and just accepting a certain beat, whereas the start feels a little janky, and as much as I love the song, I feel like it does struggle with a bit of identity. Um Although the solo and the instrumentals uh, are to die for. To die for? Yeah. You sure about that? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, put, I'll put my life in. <laughs> I, I think um, Children of the Grave is probably one of the best songs on um, Master of Reality. And also, Ozzy actually said that he thinks it's the best song in the album. Um, and the thing I really like about this song is the lyrics. Uh, it kind of just talks about how, like... We're all destroying the earth. Um, it won't be there for the next generation of like rebellion and that. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's also why it's quite interesting that there's the two interludes, like the, just the two instrumental pieces that accompany this track. Um, and yeah, I, I think that the drumming is also very technical because in the verse, um, they actually like primarily use toms, which is pretty interesting for Black Sabbath, I find. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the drumming is underrated in this album. Um, mm. And I'm saying that from like a guitarist perspective because that's what I usually focus on. But I think the drumming definitely stands out on this track. Um, and yeah, Ozzy said it's the best song in the album. I say it's the best song in the album. Well, one of the best. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd go as far as to say it's probably in top five best Sabbath songs. Full stop. I have yeah. to agree. Uh, yeah. like, as much as I lo- I, I do like Twenty Two Acacia Avenue, Children of the Grave. It is Children of the Grave. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, just to go off though. Children, uh, sorry, 22 Occasion Avenue wasn't originally a, a Maiden song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was debuted um, under Adrian Smith's first band, uh, Urchin. Uh, he then brought it over for um, Maiden, and they did their version of it. Um, and, you know, it's it's just interesting to think that that song wasn't originally yeah. um, Maiden, even though it was the second in a uh, series. Was the original one recorded? Um, I'm not... Honestly, 100% yeah. sure. Yeah, because I think it'd be quite interesting like to just compare the two, you know? Mm. I, I wonder what it would sound like, just like the original one. But, I mean, I suppose the Iron Maiden one would, version would be better. Um, 
Yeah, I I feel like the other one would have a bit more of an underground uh, UK feel. Uh, yeah. So it could be a bit of a sleeper hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think with this one, Children of the Grave, I have to I have to go with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely for Children of the Grave. Yep, that's all three of us. I, To be honest, I reckon... I know you were talking about Invaders being one of the, the lowest on the album. I thought this one was. I thought so at first, um, but th- when it changes halfway through, it becomes one of the stronger songs in the album, if, in my opinion. Okay. But it, it sits in a weird point where the first half is really weak, uh, but the f- second half is really strong. Mm-hmm. All right. Number, number of the Beast... Versus orchid, orchid or orchard? Orchid. Uh, I say orchid. orchid. I say orchid. Um, orchid feels like it feels just like you know they happen to record themselves warming up. Um, I in think the studio. this one, I think this instrumental is better than embroyo. Oh, it, I it definitely, definitely agree. Is, yeah. I definitely agree with that. Okay, but at the same time, this is number of the beast. There's a reason they named the uh, album after it. L- yeah. I think this isn't a contest, in my opinion. I think it's a it's a big contest once again. Explain. Well, you can try you and seem fight to not like tat. instrumental Explain. pieces. I do, but it's a minute and a half against one of the biggest Iron Maiden songs I've ever written. I think written. it's more about quality over quantity. Okay. That's how I see it. Explain your case. Okay, so this, this track, right, what is it, like a minute and a half, you know? Yeah. Considering Tony's disability and then how he had altered his guitar, like, tuning it down, and then just playing this beautiful piece. It not only shows that he's a very skilled guitarist, um, not only with, like, just riffs and solos, but he's actually very diverse with all of his skills, um, because it's a beautifully written piece. It kind of, it's, it's very atmospheric, I find, and it kind of just makes you want to, like, run through the wild with, like, flowers, you know, I don't know. That's what I think. It's a very relaxing piece. And even though... And Geezer's bass in the background gives it this haunting feel. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. There's, like, a nice, like, little eerie kind of, you know, an eerie kind of feel at the back of it, you know. Mm. Um, And even though it is not metal, like, it is, it definitely is not um, on a metal album, which is quite interesting, uh, I... I would even go as far as saying this is probably my favourite track off the album. Wow. Yeah. I, I think it is just such a beautiful... It's just so... It's just so beautifully articulated. And I just think, like, from a guitarist perspective, this is... I, I think this is wonderful. I'll give you from a guitarist standpoint, it is a really nice um, yeah. little piece. But I, I also just can't escape that, mm-hmm. you know, it is Number of the Beast and, you know... Um, just a bit of background, background on it. It was loosely inspired by uh, the 1978 movie Omen 2, uh, a nightmare that Steve Harris had. Um, After watching it. Yes. <laughs> um, bits and pieces from the Bible. Um, yes. Um, the quote, it comes from Revelations 12, 12 and Revelations 13, 18. 18. Yep. Uh, and it was also, uh, apparently according to Steve, uh, slightly inspired by uh, Burns' poem, Tam O'Shatner, sorry, Robert Burns' poem, Tam O'Shatner. Um, and I think this is an interesting one because this is the one that probably brought Maiden the most controversy because people were freaking out going, you know, this is this song is trying to pervert kids away from uh, Christianity. All because they heard the lyric, six, 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 the number <laughs> of the beast. That was a terrible, terrible impression. But it was that <laughs> lyric that mm. caused hysteria, it seems. I, I well, hysteria find... is a bit of a strong word, but it caused it rumblings. Caused, yeah. 
I I find that hilarious, and I love the controversy behind it because it, it's <laughs> it's just such a fun um, piece for it, and I don't know how else to put it other than it's just such a really strong piece, and yeah, it's it's, it's I, anthemic. Yes, it it you know I'd probably say this is the Iron Maiden anthem song. If yeah. I was going to play any song to go, hey, well, listen to Iron Maiden for the first time, this would be it. Yeah, we're on that side of the album where it's hit after hit in yeah. fairness on number of the beats. Can I just say one thing about um, Orca, though? Because it yep. is like, it is after Children of the Grave, which I kind of explained. It's kind of yeah. like a post-apocalyptic yeah. song. Um, and then you, it's just kind of like, is this what happens when humans disappear? If there is like some sort of an apocalypse, Children of the Grave. And then it the world just becomes like a beautiful place. That's the way I see it. It's kind of like ah, a film. Okay. Yeah. So it, is that why you um, interpret the song as more of like an outro to Children of the yes, Grave? Right, definitely. okay. And then um, Embryo would be like, I mean, I suppose like, because I said it was the outro to After Forever. Mm. So it's kind of like a story, like, oh, like, oh, everyone's like all happy, chappy. And then it gets a bit eerie with Embryo. And then Children of the Grave, Everyone just suddenly drops dead. Maybe you know, you never know. Um, and then you've got Orchid, which is just like everything's just blooming again. What what's happened? There's, I feel like there's quite similar a to the poppies of um, Flanders Field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And it's just like I, I think it's it's a nice storyline. This album has a very nice uh, kind of like story behind you. You know, that's a very interesting way of that's looking at it. Actually, it, yeah. Um, yeah. Orchid, yeah, it does make a bit of sense. It has that sense of peacefulness in the acoustic mm-hmm. guitars, mm. but then the bass kicks in, and it's yeah. still got that ominous feel. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I really do enjoy that instrumental. But Jacob, it, number of the beast. <laughs> um, I'm just going to try. I respect the song a lot more now, Tanner. So thank you for opening bit, me up. Try and throw off a little bit more again. The opening scream by oh, Dickinson. Yes. That, that is phenomenal. Like, there's not much way to say that's that's not great. You try and do an impersonation of a Jacob. I don't, I don't have the, the Yeah, we'd the be insulting we'd be insulting <laughs> Bruce Dickerson if we tried to do that, wouldn't we? Pretty much. <laughs> but no, I, I I think this one easily goes to number of the beast. That came out of frustration from um, arguing with the producer because I had to replay the intro over and over and over again. So just out of frustration he let out this scream and that's what you hear at Number of the Beast at the very beginning. That's what I love about it. There's there's a, that's that it has you know, it's the almost build to it too. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's almost um, representative of the song and just how much you have to imagine they put into this because it is such a good piece. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm my my numbers go for number of the beast. I'm gonna stick with, you know, good old Sabbath. You are the boys. Interesting. But thank you for um, making me appreciate yeah, the instrumental I, a whole lot more now. I'm, I'm my pleasure. <laughs> I must say, like I said. I, I'm now going to envision that every mm-hmm. time I listen to it from now on. And I've got these massive-ass speakers at home. So, <laughs> and when I ramp the bass up, the entire room starts shaking. Yeah. So, yeah, that, yep, now we can... Mm-hmm. I can now enhance that experience. Fun. Next up, this one's an interesting contest, I must say. Mm-hmm. Run to the Hills versus Lord of This World. Yes. Yeah, so, Lord of This World, as I explained with Orchid, it's kind of like the, the calm after, like, you know, like the storm... And then Lord of This World is pretty much, it, it's so evil sounding and it's just the opposite to After Forever. It's kind of got like that more, um, you know, like eerie, like I suppose like devilly sound compared to like the I Love Jesus sound on After Forever. Um, 
And I think that's what makes it stand out. Uh, and it's quite a switch up from Orchid. Uh, and then the themes kind of circulate around Satanism or anything kind of sinister and cruel. So what do you guys think about this track? Well, first things first, the riff is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. the riff oh, is bloody incredible. Yeah. That's maybe mm-hmm. one of my favourite riffs. I yeah. think Children of the Grave is probably song of the album. Uh, but Lord of This World has some in- mm. very, very tasty yeah. riffs. Another thing I found quite interesting is that the solo is actually repeated two times in the song, which mm. is very, very unique. Um, you don't usually hear guitar solos twice, you know. That's a pretty obvious thing because it kind of just messes up like just like the traditional structure of a track. Might drag it on. You have to be a very good guitar player to pull that off, and I feel yes. like Tony does that very well. I I can't argue with that. Uh, Lord of This World uh, would probably be one of my favourite Black Sabbath pieces. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay. I, it's, it's just very groovy and... Um, in, in my notes I had when just listening to them, I've put that it's almost jazzy um, in uh, that groove. Yeah. Uh, whereabouts did you see jazzy? Um, just, the, just the beat. Like, it, it gives me the same, um, I guess, foot tapping in the same heavy bass that you'd see in jazz. Okay. And that, that really caught me as, oh, this is the kind of sound I want to hear more from Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Huh. I like the addition of cowbell. Yes. Essentially. <laughs> yeah. In the ma- is that the chorus riff where it normally kicks in? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure, so, but yeah. like, also that's why I consider this album more experimental than the other okay. albums. Yeah, mm. just uh, including like a large variety of instruments. Uh, the, the switch up with the guitar, having um the Riviera, um played by Tony, and then just having like the interesting structure of the album. I think this is why Sabbath should should get this track. I think it's it's. You're giving a point to Lord of This World. Yeah, for sure. We haven't discussed Run to the Hills I was going to say, there's another song in here. (laughs) Um, Run to the Hills. uh, I would say it's probably the most publicly recognisable Maiden song. So if you were to make a new Iron Maiden fan, you would recommend Run to the Hills. Uh, No, not Run to the Hills. I'd I'd recommend Number of the Beast, but but I wouldn't be surprised if they knew Run Run to the the Hills Hills when they heard it. Very galloping um, sounding song. Yes, and I, that actually works with the lyrics because the lyrics are based on um, Indians uh, being hunted and killed, uh, American Indians. Um, yes. And the song uh, is based off two phrases that were used uh, during those times, uh, one being the only good Indians are tame and the other one being the only good Indian is a dead Indian. Um, both of these obviously horrible, but um, they very much inspire it and the song's told from the... Uh, the standpoint of this Native American who, you know, all, all of a sudden there are these uh, British people coming over the hills, um, attacking, and you have to run to the hills yes. to protect your, uh, your, your people. And then the second half of the song is told from the perspective of the British. Yes. And I think, lyrically... That's really that's cool. one of the coolest things I've ever heard. Yeah, I've never heard of, like, anyone doing that thing before. I, I think that's really cool. Um, and I can respect that a lot. But instrumentally, I feel like Lord of This World is the lord of the album. I have <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to give this to you. I, I do like Run to the Hills. It is a very good song, but Lord of This World. Really? It's a, it's yeah. A it, it is this zero. surprisingly zero groovy piece that just... I, I, I would go to it before I'd go to Run to, Run to the Hills. Mm. Interesting. Run to the hills. 
Galloping like verse I described it as, and the drums just in general reminded me of galloping horses. It's kind of like, you know how in the Metallica song 1, mm. where in the in the main bridge section, I'll have to um, play um, uh, hand bashing against table noises just for a second, but you know in 1 where it has that drum section, it's going... Mm. And that how it sounds like machine guns firing in the middle of a war. I feel like I get that feeling in a few of those Maiden songs like Run to the Hills. Yeah. I think th- instrumentally, um, instrumentally storytelling-wise, um, with the lyrics, I feel like they they do yeah. do it a little stronger than Sabbath in this um, mm-hmm. regard. But, yeah, I, I, I can't throw this away from Lord of the Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Like, lyrically, Iron Maiden. They, instrumentally, they Sabbath. Yeah. Jason? What's um, your opinion? Run to the hills. Mm-hmm. Ooh, oh, now I want to change. <laughs> but you are slowly turning me around. You are very. I thought it'd be very difficult for Lord of This World to make a case against Run to the Hills, but you were do you were making a very good case. But I'm going to mm-hmm. stick with Run to the Hills. Yeah. That brings this. This is just. We'll give you a score update here, mm-hmm. and this is going to attribute to the uh, the interim uh, final score for myself. It is in favour of Number of the Beast four to two. Tat, it's five one, Ooh. in favour of Master of Reality. <laughs> and Jacob, you are tied at three apiece with Ooh. two songs remaining. Oh, that's now if you go this to a draw, both albums get half a point. Interesting. Okay. How do you feel hearing that you're three apiece? Um, not too confident going into Gangland <laughs> and Solitude. Yeah, this is this is um this might be an even. Uh, vote for me across the board. Right. Um, Gangland. It's, it's it's a bit of a drop, I must admit. And Solitude's very, very, very different. I love Solitude. I've got in my notes that it makes me think of um, an old 70s or 80s medieval fantasy oh. film. And hey, sorry, what did you say? A 1970s medieval film. Well, yeah, like uh, one of your fantasy yeah, medieval, I, okay, um, I see what you mean. Yeah. Lower budget style <laughs> films, <laughs> and for some reason that that catches me. And the vocals in this, mm. um, they don't have the same effect that they usually do, and that's probably my biggest gripe with Sabbath in total. Um, is I that those vocals throw off a lot of songs for me. This one gets rid of it completely, and oh, it's so good. And the little bits of flute and the guitar in the background just, you know, the going flute, everywhere. The flute's played by Tony Iommi, too. And he played piano as well on oh, this track. It's... I unf- I, I want to give this to Maiden, but really? I can't yeah. say not, mm. not in- the Solitude. This is such a good piece. Interestingly enough, I have always in- got two interpretations from it. It's either the soundtrack for someone prancing around in a meadow field... <laughs> <laughs> Or it's got this like really brooding, intense, solitary, confined undertone kind of Ooh, vibe. I could see that. Yeah. It's like it's either that or the other one because you could use it for both and it would fit perfectly. Mm. Gangland, it's all it's all right, but if I refer to my notes here, and if you and when you read the uh, the story of at the time the band had chose out of Gangland and a song called Total Eclipse to put on the album, they had chosen Gangland a decision that the band retrospectively believed was the wrong choice. 
Yeah, it really says something when the band themselves go, we probably yeah. shouldn't have done that. It's not a bad song. It's not, no, it's not a bad song at but all. But it is lumped in between Number of the Beast and Run of the Hills, and we've got Hallowed Be Thy Name up next, and it is the outlier, I would say. Yeah. What do you say to this, Tat? Um, in regards to Solitude, I think it's quite like a bleak and... Uh, atmospheric song um it's quite sorrowful and i feel like ozzy's vocals like he just evokes like so much emotion in this song um i also i i personally just believe that ozzy is one of the best vocalists his his voice is quite unique and i think that's what kind of got me with iron maiden like i'm not uh i'm not like the biggest fan of the vocals uh it kind of reminds me of like some power metally stuff not gonna lie yeah, i can say that can, yeah yeah and that's just that's just my opinion um i I respect it, though. Um, but, yeah, like, Solitude is quite, like, a depressing song. Uh, and this is just, yeah, it's just pretty much implemented damn well within the album. Um, and it's very creative considering, like, the instrumentals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely have to go, I'm gonna go have to go. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting too excited. I'm definitely going to have to go with Solitude. I'm, I'm going to have to Creates go with Solitude. Solitude, yeah. All three of us are in agreement with Solitude there. Mm-hmm. Not that Gangbang's bad, it's just, it's so generic sounding, if that makes any sense. Generic sounding? Uh, to a certain extent, but eh, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past that. I'd still have a whale of a time yeah, listening to as it. As I said, not a, not a bad song, it's just mm-hmm. not... Yeah, solitude makes me f- um, feel a bit more. There's yeah, a, There's definitely. a lot more to etch, you know, etch out of or scratch out of. I don't know what, it, what the mm. correct terminology is. Scratch. There's more surface to be scratched. I don't know. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Final song of the album. This is also very. This one was very difficult for me to work out which one would turn out on top. It is "Hallowed Be Thy Name" versus "Into the Void." Mm-hmm. I think "Into the Void" is quite a powerful way to finish the album, and also just Most like the definitely. T- just the title "Into the Void." It's like. Continuing with, like, the story of the album. Right, so, Apocalypse. Then it's all airy-fairy after the Apocalypse with Orchid. Then Lord of This World, so something dramatic happens. Solitude just kind of brings it back down to that airy-fairy kind of scenario. And then Into the Void. Are we going into space? Are we Are we now Star Trek? We may never know. I just think it is. it, it contributes a lot to the storyline of the album and that is what gets me the most with this entire album and that is why it's one of the best albums to exist in my opinion just just the kind of story that follows along and also just like the guitar the guitar i won't even say anything just the guitar you know i'm gonna throw across here and say that uh once again they uh, iron maiden has absolutely killed it with their lyrical choice and their storytelling yes because this song um, actually goes over the story of a man who's been condemned um, and how he feels and, you know, uh, how he is facing that imminent death, the anguish and all that. And uh, the final line is a prayer. And I find that to be just be one of the, I guess, best endings to the song, especially given uh, some of the themes of death, like uh, invaders being Vikings, um, prisoner, again, a prisoner, um, run to the hills being that uh, Native, Amer- uh, Native American Indian style um, thing. There is a theme of anguish and terror throughout mm-hmm. the entire album. And I feel like this, the, 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 the actual instrumental and the actual song, um, it's good. It's really, really good. Um, not Maybe not the strongest one on it, uh, but it's one of the stronger ones. Mm. Um, but the 
lyrical choice um, and the story behind it, I feel wraps it up super, super well. And I dare say better than Black Sabbath gets wrapped up. I, I beg w- to differ. I would, <laughs> I'm, I'd argue Hello Be Thy Name is the song of the album. Yeah, it, if, if not, um, I think I'd only put uh, Number of the Beast ahead of it. But Right. Okay. I'm going to have to stick with Old Mate Aussie. Interesting. <laughs> old mate Aussie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He's very old now. Yes, isn't he? he's very he's old. Up there. Yeah, at that yeah, at the time of recording, Ordinary Man came out. What was it last week, two weeks ago? <laughs> I have no bloody idea, like Jay's. Anyway, so Tat's taking into the void. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go with Hallowed uh, Hallowed Be Thy Be Thy Name. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Th- this is where I get what very What is torn. thy answer? Jason. What is thy answer? The problem is, Into the Void, I reckon that's in the top three. My, my top three on Mastered Reality is Children of the Great Lord of the Swell and Into the, Into the Void. Mm-hmm. Iron Maiden, it's the big hits, Number of the Beast, Hallowed Be Thy Name. Actually, I think Children of the Damned might actually be in the top three too. Mm. But um, let's be honest, they nailed that medieval atmosphere in Hallowed Be Thy yes, Name. they, they really did. They nailed it. The, like the prolonged vocal of running low into the big, the main riff. Everything sounds like that, it's a march. That everything riff on its sound- own is so catchy. Everything that sounds like um, a march to the gallows, like when the music cuts off, I think, okay, that's the condem- mm. uh, the man being condemned as we speak. Obviously in a medieval setting. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? It could be set in the French Revolution during the terror. I'm kidding. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Well, you know, you have the guillotine or something like that. How do you reckon this man is being condemned? Um, By... Ooh, I I always assumed he was being hung. Okay. Right. You could... I'm thinking, if it's the gallows, does that mean the guillotine? I'd imagine so. All right. Anyway, why, why are we diving deep into that? Why did I even <laughs> think of that? Because the song's that good at describing what it is. It is, isn't it? Mm. So, Jason, where do we sit? Hallowed be thy name. I love Into the Void, but I love Hallowed be thy name. I've... You can't you it's... can't escape how amazing of a piece it is. I'll, I'll go and cry in the corner of the studio. <laughs> oh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm Are definitely you... going to have to single Sabbath for sure. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a good piece. I definitely do like um, Into mm-hmm. the Void. It's just up up next to uh, Hallowed be th- Hallowed be thy name. It doesn't stand up. I think against any other song in the album, it would win. Mm-hmm. But seeing as this is the ending, it's such you know strong mm-hmm. theme. I, I can't argue against it. Yeah, I can appreciate the um, song lyrically. Mm. That's for sure. Jason, so let's crack a lacking. We've reached the end of the battle. Yep. And um, here, here are our final scores. For Tat, our Lord, resident Lord of the Chaos, who you can hear Thursday nights at 8pm on Mosh Pit on Sin, has decided that the winner of this battle will be Master of Reality with six to one. Ooh. <laughs> Myself, Number of the Beast wins five to three. So that we're at one point apiece. But Jacob Scanlan. Yes. <laughs> four <laughs> points to Number of the Beast and four points to Master of Reality, <laughs> resulting in a dead heat. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Your think... indecision has resulted in a draw. Oh, well. No, I was decisive with each one. It was just fair. <laughs> I actually think that's a really good way to put it for Is both it? of these because they're both they're both really strong where they're really strong, but where these two, I feel fall, they fall really hard. 
uh, embryo and orchid are really hard to get into uh, without that, I guess, thought process of, mm. um, you know, what they might mean. And songs like Gangland uh, are real falls for um, Maiden. And I feel like where these albums are really strong, they're really, really strong. And where they're weak, they really do um, have those holes. My viewpoint is with Embryo at Orchid. They're fine. I enjoy mm-hmm. them. But they, I feel like they, they're, they're an, either an intro or an outro yeah. to something bigger. I feel and like... I don't really see them as a standalone yeah. excellent track. That's only my mm-hmm. personal perspective. I thought that it was quite interesting how it was set out. And I... I do listen to, like, a fair bit of, like, ambient kind of instrumental stuff, but it's usually in, like, the bridge of the song or, like, outroing a song, like you said, Jason. But um, I, I think it's definitely... Uh, they, they set it out well. I think it's just all a bit of a roller coaster. this album. Um, mm. a, a large mixture of just different sounds, different guitar tones, you know. Mm. That's, that's my input. I think a good way to put it is they both make you feel things. Different <laughs> songs. I feel stuff. Album is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, sto- the storytelling on both is just amazing. And there's, yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say other than, you know, they're both stunning. And with that, this is the second time on the Great Metal Standoff how uh, a battle has resulted in a draw. Thank you guys for bringing about another draw. Oh, you know what? You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think it's a bit more of a cupboard, not going to lie. Right? Yeah. I think, I still think Black Sabbath should win. But, Jason, it's up to you. So, I mean, I, yeah, I have nothing to say. Aussie, that's it. <laughs> All I can say is uh, this, this is the mate, this is Maiden's album for, for everything, so... The one thing I feel we can agree on is a lot of posers do wear Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath <laughs> shirts, and particularly these albums. So that is one thing that they have in common. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of my favourite things at the moment is uh, I have a few mates who pretend that they're into heavier metal uh, and just metal in general, and um, they recently released uh, an Eddie Pop um, mm-hmm. pop vinyl. Right. And... None of them knew who it was. Oh, my God. And it was just amazing to sit there and just big smile on my face going, ah. What's your thoughts on people that wear Iron Maiden shirts? Uh, That's a debate for another day. (laughs) 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 Ladies and gentlemen, the debate rages on. This is the brand new Mosh Pit team, Jacob and Tat. Thanks for joining me on this debate. pleasure. Thanks for having us. Ladies and gentlemen, riddle me this. I remember comprising rule number five of the Great Metal Standoff. Let's just quickly refer to rule number five of the Great Metal Standoff. If a panellist's tally score results in a draw, both albums will receive a half grand point each. Riddle me this, people. I designed rule number five to prevent draws from happening. Well, today's battle has proven that all ideas have its flaws, as Iron Man's Number of the Beast has drawn with Black Sabbath's Master of Reality, thanks to Jacob, our illustrious punk rock specialist panellist, being overwhelmed by the sheer awesomeness that is Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath. Anyway, thank you to Jacob and Tat for joining me in this discussion and laying out the reasons why they thought their choice was best. Unfortunately, we debated in such depth and were overwhelmed. All of us were overwhelmed by the sheer awesomeness. We were unable to settle the debate. If you were in the guest seat, which album would you have picked? 
Do you want to hear more discussions like this? Do you have a battle we should do in the future? Be sure to hit us up, facebook.com forward slash metalstandoffpod. And also, if you want to check out more metal content here on Sin, Moshpin on Sin is the place to be Thursday nights, 8 till 10 p.m. on Sin 90.7 FM, DAB Plus, or stream live from your preferred device at sin.org.au. And you get to hear all kinds of music that is heavy, comprised by Tat, Jacob, and the rest of the Moshpit team. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of the Resurrection, potentially, of the Great Metal Standoff. Hopefully we can get more done in the future. We've got plenty more of the Moshpit team to introduce to you in the future. If you have a battle, always be happy to hear from it. Facebook.com forward slash Metal Standoff Pod. But for right now, that brings us to the end. We'll see you soon, and until next time, metal up your ass!